will tell you this is the first time I've ever doing this by myself. I am a fill-in host, and so, uh, well, you know, forgive me if I if I if I don't am not as smooth as the normal host on this thing. So, is this um, you, this is usually the Jasons, right? The Jason it. and the Jason, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, you're, I'm sure you're gonna do great. You're very kind. See, listen to you being that educator and giving me the confidence I need. <laughs> Welcome to Yolitics, the home of cold beer and hot takes on Texas politics. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Yolitics. As you heard, this is a strange voice coming at you this week. I know you're probably looking at your phone or your radio right now saying, who is that? Well, I am Teresa Woodard. I work at WFAA-TV up in Dallas. I work with the Jasons, Jason Wheeler and Jason Whiteley, but both of them, for some reason, decided to take off and vacate the Yolitics World Headquarters this week. And I'm not sure why anybody would want to ever vacate the Yolitics World Headquarters, Uh, but I am doing my best to fill in. So hopefully you'll give me a little bit of grace, uh, but it's an interesting conversation that we are going to have today. We are talking with Dr. Stephanie Elizalde. She is uh, the current superintendent in Austin ISD. She is soon to be the superintendent in Dallas ISD. So a lot of heavy things to talk to her about, which is why I am not cracking open a cold one as the Jasons would normally do right now. And I think they there's normally something about um, citrus beer for Jason Wheeler and then Whiteley making fun of his choice of drinks. So we're not going to we're not going to do that. But I will say cheers uh, to them as they are off enjoying a little bit of time away. Well deserved. And I think the rumor is that Whiteley is actually celebrating a birthday. I'm not going to give away his age, but let's just say there's 50 reasons to celebrate Mr. Whiteley. So uh, anyway, here is our conversation with uh, Dr. Stephanie Elizalde. Dr. Elizalde, welcome to Yolitics. It is great to be here, Teresa. So if I remember correctly, we were hoping to have a conversation with you late in May, and we all know what happened in May, the tragedy in Uvalde. Uh, You felt like it wasn't quite the right time to to talk, and I understand that. Um, How are you feeling about things now? Uh, Well, I think we've had time to process, um, and we're starting to begin to think about what does this mean for um, the coming days in our schools. And I, I'm going to take some, some liberties of as I hear people who go through these tragedies that touch them personally. And, and you hear things like, you, you're never going to really have closure. We're never going to really have closure on this. And yet, um, and yet we have to ensure that we don't have those lives be um, in vain. So we have to take that and turn that into some positive action. Um, and we've heard from parents even today, as I was just kind of um, just going through Twitter and I see some parents from Sandy Hook who are still asking for some common sense um, gun reform and, and I think to myself, that was a decade ago. That was a decade ago. And yet we have in front of us a very similar tragedy. Um, I have to ask what I think most citizens of our entire nation are asking. What is it going to take for us to come together? Because what I see in the polls 
say 80, 80 plus percent of citizens believe that some common sense um, access to guns needs to take place, right, in some form or fashion. So if so many of us are aligned on that, why is it so difficult for us to actually have some legislation around that? Um, and I'm asking that same question. And then as I pivot to a different question is, what does this mean for our schools? And um, every day you see one of the children and their families still, just this morning, I saw one of the, the families on TV with their funeral services. And um, there has to be another way for us to have schools and for those schools to be places where children actually want to come and have fun, not a place where they're going to have to practice active shooter drills. Yeah. How, how much of this consumes a superintendent's life? You know, planning these active shooter drills, talking and thinking about school security and safety. How much consumes a superintendent's life here in the state of Texas? And is it different for Texas superintendents than it might be in other states? So I'm certainly, I, I wouldn't be able to compare to any other superintendent in yeah. a different state because I've never had the opportunity to serve in another state. Um, I get to listen to other soups when I visit with them on the Council of Great City Schools, and I don't think it's all that different. Um, it, consumes, it consumes all of our day and it consumes all of our nights. Uh, the best way I can describe it is it's a constant roller coaster that never ends. And so we have peaks and valleys. We have those periods of time. Um, uh, you know, we just held in Austin ISD, we held 15 graduations. At every graduation, even though I am fortunate enough in our district to have a complete police department, um, nonetheless, I was scanning as I was on stage wow. the entire time that I was on stage while I'm shaking hands and wishing our students well, I'm scanning, I'm looking. Um, and so there are periods of time where you, we get a real joyful moment and for a few seconds, maybe a few minutes, you don't think about that. And then you're at another event and you're back to thinking about safety again. And so that's why I would describe it as just this constant um, peaks and valleys. Um, I, I don't know a superintendent that when we get together, we don't share very similar um, experiences of of our own of our own mental models and how we deal with that. I think you described um, something a lot of us go through in crowds now. Anywhere you are, you do. You scan. You think, and that's such a shame, uh, particularly in a school setting, because, like you said, those moments of joy um, are being are being missed out on. Um, you, you talked about believing that, that some sort of common sense gun legislation would be the way to go. Um, here in the state of Texas, our elected leaders seem to be focusing more of their message on hardening schools. So I want to walk you through a couple of their proposals and get your take on them. First, we've heard people talk about one entrance with armed guards. Is that feasible at Texas school campuses? Uh, clearly, that has been said by no one who actually works in schools. Mm. And um, I, I'm not trying to be flippant, but 
in this period of time, I, it, it is in, in some instances, I think, even offensive to create some models of individuals thinking this is a solution who don't work in schools. And let me give you a real example. How long does it take you to get through TSA? If, even if you have TSA um, security passage, how long does it take you to get through an airport, right? It's not a and quick process. So it's not a quick process. So imagine then, you know, I've got a high school here in Austin, let's say Bowie High School. There's 3,500 students. One entrance for 3,500 students. What time am I going to start school? Um, and, and again, to me, these seem very reactive. This is about what do we do after the fact? They may want to sell this as something that is pro, it's to prevent, but we're preventing the manifestation or the symptom of a much bigger issue. And, and again, the onus is back on schools to solve all of the issues that we have in society. And so one entrance, while I also want to tell you that, again, in Austin as ISD, as I know in several, but not all school districts, we did use bond money. And I did use um, money that the governor did make available for safety and hardening of schools. I don't even like the use of that word hardening. How in the world am I using the word hardening in a place that's supposed to be about joy and learning and recess and and friendships and cafeteria food that I like or don't like, you know, all of the things you and I got to experience in schools. Um, so even the use of that term, I think, should give us something to think about. But we were able to use bond dollars and some grant money to ensure that all of our school's main entrances do only have, you can only get in if you've got a, a, a key card. Um, that takes money. It takes resources. It takes technology. You know, that's part of when my guilt kicks in because Uvalde, without me looking into it, probably doesn't have access to the same resources that an Austin ISD or some larger communities have, right? So while, while it's great that in Austin ISD, I could give you the list, Teresa, of all the things we've used bond money for, $2 million from state grants to make our entrances bullet resistant. In Austin ISD, we have film that we wrap our windows at the entrances wow. that are bullet resistant. Um, and... Is that really where we want to continue to invest resources? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Um, the governor has talked about random safety checks on campuses, um, you know, making sure that, that school doors are locked on campuses. Um, does that work for you? Does that sound like a good idea? Um. You know, again, I'm not a politician, so I answer the questions directly as opposed to deflecting, which is we like which, is that. Why I, which is why I'll never run for public office. But <laughs> uh, no, that's not. Uh, let me tell you what I'm concerned about and what actually let me give real examples. And my hope is that maybe someone in the governor's office would listen with an open mind just to this example. I'm going to give you, Teresa. We had a situation in a neighborhood the day before the last day of school here in Austin across the street from one of our schools, there was an incident and 
police were being called. It was a it, there was a, a heavy presence of police. So that requires us, based on our own administrative uh, practices, to put the school on what we'll call a soft secure, meaning let's not let anybody in or out of the building right now until that situation across the street is resolved. Let's not put anybody in the middle of some some gunfire or anything like that, okay? But Uvalde had just happened. Right. I actually had a staff member who was affected mentally in a way that caused her to go into what she heard was that we actually had active shooter on our campus. That we were not, and, it, and, 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 and we weren't anywhere near there. There was no miscommunication of an announcement. It was the effect, though, of this soft secure immediately following the Uvalde situation. And so we had three and four-year-olds behind tables that had been turned over, door barricaded, um, and so on. Um, and I could be even more graphic, but I'm going to stop there. Um, because of the extreme fear and her determination to ensure that her children were safe. She was prepared to put herself in harm's way. So can you imagine if we start having these randomly done at our schools? What is the effect on our educators in the classroom, on our children uh, with these random checks? Are are we going to cause them to have some post-traumatic kind of responses, not to mention Okay, we do them. And then what? Uh, We get in trouble because we didn't have enough resources to ensure that all the doors were secure. I mean, I I don't know what the long term plan is with regard to checking to make sure that we've done all that we can do. I can't. move on to another topic without asking about arming teachers. I know this is something that Dallas ISD uh, does not do. Um, Austin ISD, I'm assuming, does not do. I don't report in Austin, so I don't, I don't know the, the, the policies as well. We do um, not. We do, do not. not. Do not. That's a firm do not. Um, would you ever consider it? Do you think it's ever a good idea in any, in any district in Texas? You know, there's one thing about a superintendent um, that I learned Uh, throughout my career, but definitely the last couple of years here in Austin ISD, there's a reason why we have local school districts. So first and foremost, um, you know, I'm not an elected official. I'm a selected staff member, right? But the board is an elected group. And there's a reason why they're elected. Part of that was so that each school district could reflect community values within a locale. And so hence a local school district, hence an independent school district. So I would never want to speak for every single school district in the state of Texas. I I don't have a right to do that. However, what I do know about the Dallas ISD board, what I do know about the Austin ISD board, and what I do know about my own values and beliefs about what our responsibilities are as um, as as school, public school employees, is that putting a gun on our hip is just not what we should be doing in schools. There are so many things that I can think of. I started my career as a high school teacher. 
So I think back to times when students that are teenagers and haven't matured and, and have had um, outbursts. And I think, what if they had had access to a gun that was on my hip as I was a classroom teacher? You know, you think about these things having spent 35 years in public education, and there is not one scenario right now that I could say putting a gun on my hip would make me feel safer or would make me feel safer as a superintendent in the school districts that I serve. You just talked about being a teacher yourself. The past few years have just not been kind to Texas teachers. We talk about COVID, we think about arguments over books, we think about arguments over how to teach and what to teach, and now this horrific mass shooting. How will you, as superintendent in Dallas ISD, and how are you doing it in Austin ISD, trying to recruit and retain teachers? Yeah, that one is such a complex situation um, and there and it's going to take it is going to take a variety of different initiatives, approaches, and it's going to take a group effort, truly not being used as just a, you know, a, a, a group of two words. It is going to take a group effort. We are going to have to think about things that well, first and foremost, we've got to reconnect with why any of us joined education to begin with. And and that's because we wanted to make a difference for children. We wanted to serve communities. When we start talking about all these external factors, like we're going to have to practice active shooter drills, we're going to have to put bulletproof film, resistance bullet film on our on our windows of our schools and we need to purchase um, I think I even saw like you can buy desks that are bulletproof and you know when we're talking about that where is that love that I had for wanting to serve and teach children um, so we're going to have to reconnect with why people choose education to begin with because nobody ever chose education for the money that we already know <laughs> um, it's truly a service and it's truly because I want to give to the community right then we're going to have to ask ourselves, how can we be creative with some things that maybe we haven't done before? Um, are there are, are there additional planning times throughout the day that we can allow teachers to do some of their work during the school day instead of everything being after school? Um, I think that's one of the areas. Um, it is an area that I'm proposing pending budget approval here in Austin. And that's to give elementary teachers for the first time that I'm aware of in either Dallas ISD, Austin ISD, or San Antonio ISD, the three largest districts I've worked for, um, we were able to find additional planning time for secondary teachers. We've never been able to find additional planning time for elementary teachers. And our team came up with several unique ways in doing that. It is going to cost us a little bit of money in order for that to happen. But if this gives teachers a moment to do some of that during the day instead of after school, that could be something that a teacher might say, you know what, okay, I'm going to stay. And then I think the other thing is, what can we do as a society? And I do mean even locally, not just globally, like in a community, let's take Dallas ISD. How can we do more of sharing how valuable our teachers and our teacher assistants and our support staff are? Because I will tell you, both myself as a as a teacher and the teachers that I get to work with, what do they really want? They want someone to, to, 
tell them they're doing a good job. They want someone to let them know how important they are in their children's lives. They want to feel valued. They want to feel that they are making a difference. Too many times writing a thank you note maybe is no longer done. That can make all the difference in the world to a teacher. Absolutely. We, something's wrong when our <laughs> teachers are some, among the lowest paid members of, of, of a profession. I mean, that's just, that's just not, that's not right. Um, when you talk about recruiting and retaining teachers, that also has an impact on student performance. If you have the best teachers, you're going to have a, a, a better outcome for students. I know that in Dallas ISD, there's been strides. Some schools um, have really been performing better, but there's still room for growth. And some of our lower income areas have chronically underperforming schools. And then you also have issues with equity when it comes to, to doling out discipline. How will you attack that problem of equity and of performance in low income areas here in Dallas ISD? Um, well, Teresa, you're certainly not uh, throwing me any softballs. So really <laughs> that's not what uh, Yalitics is known for. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love it. Um, I think part of it is let's let's just get right. Let's start with students. Um, I'm going to call it student management. I don't like the use of the word discipline. Mm -hmm. Discipline implies that we're doing something to students and that it's all punitive. And I really think we've got to rethink student management in that it has to become a de development of them ultimately becoming self-managers. That's what we're working to create. It's how do we provide them interventions and tools such that they're able to manage themselves? Because life is going to be life. It's not what's happening. It's how do we respond to what's happening? I, I know it's very cliche, but it's very real. And so, um, you know, I did start to look in. Dallas has made, in the two years I've left, has made some really significant pivots with regard to student management uh, or discipline with reset centers and working to really pay attention to the overrepresentation of students of color, specifically African-American males that continue to be overrepresented both in the types of discipline that is um, given to students and the number of those students. Well, I think that goes back to what's our equity training? What do we do with regard to what we now today refer to as unconscious bias? We all have it, myself at the front of the line. It is one of those that you cannot begin to address until you actually accept that you have it. And so I think having some very thoughtful and planned out training with regard to what unconscious bias looks like coupled with expectations. Too often, we don't see the relationship between what I expect students to perform at and my unconscious bias, and they actually go hand in hand. Sometimes low expectations doesn't sound like what you think it would sound like. Sometimes it sounds like, oh, Johnny had a really hard day. Uh, or really hard evening. I heard his family uh, had a tragedy, um, X, Y, and Z. So I'm not going to expect Johnny to do this. And someone might say, oh, that's so great because they're not going to put this pressure on Johnny. But what we actually do is we actually create larger inequities because we're now not going to give Johnny the rigorous curriculum that he can do 
because of some situations that are outside of his control. So what's the answer? Well, the answer isn't, sorry, tough, too bad, you got to do it. And that's where the work becomes really hard, Teresa, is we actually have to be empathetic and understand. And we have to create different avenues for Johnny to still get the rigorous curriculum that we know he can do. But when we only just do the sympathy component, we actually lower our expectations. And the cycle then continues of poverty, violence, crime, lack of educational attainment, not because of their ability, but because the system isn't created to respond in that way. So I think first and foremost, I have to listen to our community because I may think I may know from my experiences what may need to be, you know, what our plan of action may need to be, but I really need to hear from our community. And that community really actually needs to be our parents and guardians in our neighborhoods who are actually living out these experiences with their own children. And so I think you have to couple high academic expectations along with an empathetic way of creating a variety of ways, not just one way, of students being able to fulfill and and reach their potential. And that's going to take a lot of investment, but you don't build relationships with folks without putting in time. And so it's going to create, right now, I think having listening sessions and a variety of focus groups where I truly do a lot of listening, not a lot of talking, is going to be the most important 30 to 60 days. I want to be respectful of your time, but I do want to ask you one more question. Uh, You talked earlier about not being an elected official. Superintendents are not political, not a partisan. Uh, I don't know your party affiliation, nor should I. Uh, Maybe you don't have one. Um, But sometimes you do get drug into these political fights um, like, you know, school security, arming teachers, guns, COVID mandates. How do you, as a superintendent, decide when it's right to weigh in on a topic and when you need to sit something out? Well, the response is going to be simplistic. The decision making is always much harder (laughs) than it sounds. Um, And I was even going to chime in. I'm like, I don't know my party's affiliation (laughs) because I think it depends on the issue, you know. Um, And I think first and foremost, the first thing I'm always going to have in my mind is student and staff safety. That is going to be that always parents and families are sending me their most prized possession every single day. And I'm always going to take that very seriously. So student and staff safety have to be at the forefront. Now that being said, data has to drive the decision. And even if the data aren't popular, the data have to drive the decision. So when I did make the decision that I was going to require masks, um, the CDC data drove that decision for me. Now, when the CDC said, we don't think it's making that big of a difference anymore, I used that data to make the same decision that I now decided masks were not a requirement. Well, I had a lot of folks that were very supportive when I mandated the masks using CDC data, but now didn't want me to follow the CDC. So that to me would be one of those examples where the best thing I can do is not try to please everyone because I will please no one. What I need to do is ensure 
so that I'm putting students and staff at the center of the decision-making and that I'm using sound data. Sometimes it's quantitative and qualitative, but I need to use data to drive those decisions because at the end of the day, there's always going to be someone who's not going to be happy with whatever direction or decision I've made. Yeah, that's the way to live life, right? Do what's right and not worry about what everybody else thinks about it. It's just not always that easy to decide what's right. And I think therein <laughs> lies the issue, right? Because I might think this is right and someone else might think it isn't right. And I think ultimately what, what, I, what I certainly hope for our society as we move forward, and I think schools play a pivotal role, is that we have to get to a point where I can respect someone having a different, a different opinion and that we can still be united in some other areas and that we spend more time on the areas that we are in alignment and less time on the things that we are not in alignment on. And schools, public schools in particular, I believe are the core of a society that can ultimately achieve that. Amen. As a proud product of the Dallas Independent School District, I would agree with you. <laughs> yeah, Brian Adams High School, go Cougars. I have to put in a little plug for that. So, <laughs> Oh my goodness. Okay, out over my White Rock Lake. There you go. There you go. Very good. Dr. Elizalde, this was a great conversation. There's so many things we could ask you. I know we, again, need to be respectful of your time. So thank you for sharing with us. Uh, good luck as you wrap things up in Austin. And we look forward to seeing you up in Dallas soon. I'm looking forward to getting there. I'm Now I've got to find a place to live. But uh, <laughs> uh, It's not easy time. right now. The, the housing market <laughs> is not easy. <laughs> no, it isn't. But thank you all so much for your time and for the preparation that you all provided so that we could be ready for you all. Good luck. Thank you. Thank you.